Board Rounds, Episode 15. The moment you step foot on campus as a medical student, you are gearing up for one of the biggest tests you'll ever have to take, USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1. The medical school headquarters and board vitals are going to help you prepare for your first board exam with questions, pearls of information, and guidance to make sure you have what it takes to score high and match into your specialty of choice. Welcome to Board Rounds. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and this week we have a new expert from Board Vitals. We have Dr. Karen Shackelford, who will introduce herself in a second. But I'm excited to continue on with our breakdown of questions from the Board Vitals QBank. If you are looking for more prep with your USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1 training, go to boardvitals.com. Check out their QBanks for Step 1 and Level 1 where you can sign up for three months, six months, you can cram for one month. And each of those signups will have a vaccine donated through the GiveVax program. If you sign up for the three-month or six-month program, you also get access to Ask a Clinician, where you can connect with the Board Vitals medical experts to answer your content questions. Again, go to boardvitals.com. Use the promo code Board rounds, that's all capital letters, board rounds, all one word, to save 15% off of your purchase at boardvitals.com. Let's go ahead and jump into our content today with a fun viral question. Dr. Karen Shackelford, welcome to Board Rounds. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm great, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. A new member of the Board Vitals team, and that means a new member of the Board Rounds team. You're going to be joining us here for the foreseeable future as our kind of content expert here for Step 1 and Level 1. Why don't you give the audience a brief little background about who you are and, and what you do with Board Vitals? Okay. Um, actually, I'm not new to Board Vitals. Uh, uh, I'm an former ER clinician. I uh, did my residency in medical school at University of Mississippi. Uh, my family lived in Jackson. My, uh, I had four children at the time. So I went to medical school when I was about 30 years old and finished up there, practiced clinically. And I ended up moving up north to Pennsylvania a few years ago. And I began working remotely with Board Vitals as a contributor and then as an editor. Um, and then this job came open, so I uh, they asked me to take it on, and it's really been fun so far. Exciting. So you were an ER physician, a non-traditional student, going to medical school a little bit later. That's exciting and different, and I love talking about those kind of stories on the pre-med years podcast. But we are going to pick pick up right where we left off with Andrea, and we're going to jump into some more questions from the Board Vitals Q Bank. What do you have for us today? Okay. Well, here's one. A 35-year-old female patient returned 10 days ago from a mission trip to Niger. She was evaluated in clinic a week ago, uh, complaining of a high fever. She had a fine petechial rash on, on the axilla, face, and extremities. The symptoms she had experienced were similar to some she had had two years earlier after returning from the same uh, mission trip. And again in Niger. Those symptoms resolved with only symptomatic treatment. Today, her husband took her to the emergency department, reporting that her fever had resolved two days ago, 
but she began to complain of abdominal pain, and this morning she appeared very lethargic and ill. So on exam, her skin is cool and blotchy. She has circumoral cyanosis. Her pulse is weak and rapid, and her blood pressure is 80 over 60 millimeters of mercury. She has a diffuse confluent petechial rash, and her liver is palpable two centimeters below the costal margin. Laboratory studies are significant for a platelet count of 70,000 cells per uh, milliliter. White blood cell count is 2,000 cells per milliliter with predominant lymphocytosis. And her serum aspartate aminotransferase, uh, AST, is elevated. Which of the following is the most likely cause of these severe symptoms? And the answer choices are A is bacterial superinfection. B is inoculation with a large viral load. C is antigenic drift. And D is viral serotype change. All right. So we have a picture of somebody coming back from an exotic location. Those are always the hard ones, like, oh, tropical medicine and, and, and bugs and viruses and stuff from other countries are always, yeah. uh, always difficult ones. Um, this is an interesting one because you're given the presentation that, that she's had this before, similar symptoms before. And, and so you're like, oh, that's fine. She's going to resolve again on her own. But then you're like, oh, she's gotten worse and worse and worse. So it's like, darn it. Um, so a bacterial super infection doesn't sound quite right to me. An inoculation, uh, with a large viral load. So inoculation, um, I'm assuming some kind of exposure. Yeah. 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 Exposure to concentrated exposure. Um, antigenic drift. Define antigenic drift for somebody who who's like, I forget what that is. Okay, so um, small changes in uh, in the viral, uh, I guess, in the viral structure, mm-hmm. um, uh, mutations, uh, you know, just spontaneous changes. Yeah, in um, in the viral type. Yeah, and that's how some viruses start to avoid um, getting destroyed with vaccines and other stuff. It's like, oh, I'm going to change a little bit, right? Right. Well, with a, a, yeah, exactly. Like influenza every year, uh, yep. there's some antigenic drift. So that would be the, that's the primary example that I can think of. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a typical uh, method of resistance. Okay. Uh, and then what was the last answer? Different viral serotype. Different viral serotype. And define serotype. The serotype, uh, the definition is basically a serologically different strain of a microorganism, which is not a great definition, but there are just slight structural differences at, uh, within a type of microorganism. Okay. They're classified together. You know, they have the same cell surface antigens, so they evoke the same um, type of immune response, but just with a slight uh, uh, variation in yeah. their effect on the immune system, I guess. Yeah. So it's interesting, based on that definition and, and kind of where I was thinking, this answer sounds the best, potentially, because it's like, well, she potentially was exposed to the same virus previously, which is why she presented with the same symptoms before. But there's just something different about this strain or serotype or whatever definition you want to use um, that that caused her immune system to just res- respond even uh, worse than the first time or more severe than the first time. So 
I'm I'm leaning towards that that answer choice. The uh, the viral serotype being different. Uh, that was good reasoning because that was the correct answer choice. I um, yeah, I thought this was actually kind of an interesting uh, question. The patient in this case, uh, prob- her condition is probably most likely due to a second infection with dengue virus, uh, D-E-N-G-U-E, mm-hmm. but with a different serotype. So there are four serotypes of that virus. And it's not atypical for somebody to have a mild case that resolves or even uh, be asymptomatic, the initial infection. So at that time, uh, their immune system, you know, the virus presents to a naive immune system for that virus. The second time around, uh, it triggers a a more significant immune response instead of immunity because the um, there are antigenic differences that mm-hmm. the body responds to. So dang, um, and, and again, you say foreign travel, you know, a lot of these things are becoming more common um, in areas that people pretty routinely travel to. I don't know how many cases of dang, you know, though I, would, I don't think I've ever seen any, even living in the South, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just slightly subtropical. I mean, it's not even the deep, it's pretty well widespread. So a severe dengue um, viral infection can result in hemorrhagic fever, and that, that's characterized by the high fever, hemorrhagic signs like the purpura, petechiae, and um, epistaxis, mm-hmm. uh, hepatomegaly, circulatory failure, and shock. And that all re- results from increased capillary permeability, I think because the uh, immune system has, is having a florid response to this second exposure to a slightly different serotype. Yeah. So. It seems like it's a very similar response to uh, allergies, almost right. The the as allergies yeah. uh, as you're exposed to an allergen over and over and over again, your response maybe the first time you're fine, the second time you're fine, the third time maybe you itch a little bit, and the fourth time it's like oh anaphylaxis. Yes, yes, and to be honest, I don't know what would happen if you had a third infection with with dang. I imagine if it was a different viral serotype, it could potentially. Um, you know, be harmful, but I think that you would have some measure of immunity against the same one. And that's the impression mm-hmm. uh, that I, I have from my reading. Um, but yeah, but so when somebody comes in to the office or the emergency department with, you know, with a history of travel to the tropics and they have a, a high fever, myalgia, lethargy, and a rash, um, there are several things that could be wrong with them. And one thing that fits this picture is chikungunya fever, uh, chikungunya fever, uh, fever and dengue fever. Mm-hmm. So they should both be considered, but the one that is potentially fatal is dengue. Uh, you know, so it, uh, and the person could uh, seem to recover a little bit. The fever can resolve, uh, and after they defervesce, they fall into a. You know, they become progressively ill and have circulatory collapse um, several days later. So they should be monitored closely after after an episode. You know, you're not going to be able to tell which of the two it is, chikungunya or dengue fever, most likely. The tests aren't really that readily available um, in most hospitals. So I guess the point being that you should closely monitor the patient uh, if they're coming in with acute high fever, myalgia, lethargy, and, and a petechial rash um, after a trip to the tropics, even if you think, oh, well, you know, perhaps this is the non-life-threatening uh, chikungunya. Mm-hmm. Now, for uh, for questions that are potentially with a same kind of question route but different answer choices, 
or same kind of uh, vignette, but different question. Could could there be a potential question about treatment types or treatment options, or is it pretty pretty much supportive care for both infections? Right, um, they're both viral. Uh, I think I believe they're both uh, transmitted by the Aedes mosquito. Mm-hmm. Um, I know dengue is a single stranded RNA. There's not a, a vaccine, and there is not a uh, there's not a tr- specific treatment. It is just supportive. Yeah. And again, in most cases, the initial infection is asymptomatic or only mildly sim- symptomatic. So as you said, you're more or less dealing with uh, an immune enhanced immune reaction. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, there's acceleration. Uh, so you have increased formation of immune complexes. And then you have a, um, a pretty florid T lymphocyte response with dengue fever. This, I think, believed to be the um, primary mechanism behind it. So yeah, no specific treatment. All right, so there you have it. Dengue fever. You can't diagnose what you don't know. So hopefully you'll learn a little bit more today, not only going with the right answer, but also breaking down the wrong answers and getting some tidbits of information all along the way. Again, if you want some more help with your board prep, go to boardvitals.com, use the promo code BOARDROUNDS to save 15% off. Again, boardvitals.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. 